Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you again. Our third week out of 11 weeks, we're doing Get Up and Go. Uh, the idea that we get up and get after it, get up and get after our lives. I, I also recognize that, I mean, here we're now into the second part of the year. People think about a lot of things about the fall, about school, everything coming up. Um, and in the middle of all that, as you know, the clouds have come around, the smoke is out there and everything like that. And I just think that we ought to be praying for those people that are out there with their lives on the line. So would you stop with me for a moment and let's pray for them. Um, Father God, you are just such a good and kind God. And we thank you for your provision. We pray you, you uh, there's so many places in the Bible where uh, the different prophets were called to pray for rain. And so what we would do is ask you, Lord God, would you pour out your rain spiritually, physically, uh, emotionally, relationally, intellectually, all over us, Lord. May, may your rain, your provision of life come about. We pray, Father, thanking you for those who serve and who are serving right now, uh, overnight, in the day, in the heat of the day, etc., that are out there looking after the well-being of others. We pray your sweet blessing on them. And Father, for those who grieve uh, and who are hurting, and we ask that your mercy will be strong on this day and that you'll minister to them uh, through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. So the, so the first Sunday we preached about get up and go, be intimate, learning how to have intimacy in our relationships built on one idea, and that is honesty. How do we build through vulnerability all the way through to honesty and then have the ability to be one with someone else and to be one with our God? Then we talked about the notion of what it means to resolve conflict with others when we go into conflict with each other. And I guess the, the, the little short line I would use for is this, is that are you willing to settle for truces or do you want to have trust? Are you willing to settle for truces or do you want to have trust in your life? Today we're going to talk about biblical decision making. We're going to walk into the Bible uh, because honestly we made hundreds of decisions just to get here this morning. And so we want to talk about how we guide decision making and what the Bible has to say about that. Before we get there, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's not here on your screen today, but 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 7 is a powerful verse that I just want to embolden you with, and, and maybe it'd be a life verse for you, a remembering verse for you. It's this, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Our God did not give us a spirit of fear. Our God gave us a spirit of power, love, and discipline, and that is on offer by our God. And so we don't have to walk with a timidity, timidity about our lives. We can actually walk with a proactivity, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Have you noticed that the word faith and the word faint start out the same but end up in different places, right? Faith is something to propel us. Faint is what happens when we take our eyes off of our faith. And so we want to talk today about how to not be faint of heart and how to face decisions and to make decisions. And just so you hear from the very beginning, there are no perfect decisions, okay? So if that's the holy grail for you, there's, well, I'm sorry, I, I'm wrong, there's one perfect decision, except Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. Enter into the waters of the baptistry. Ask him to lead, guide, direct, heal, bless, encourage, and be the Lord of your life. That's the one perfect decision. Off of that, there are a whole lot of imperfect decisions. But along the way, Jesus actually cares about the decisions we make because they end up making our lives. I I told you I'm a math guy, right? I studied math in undergrad, etc. And so I, I, you know, a long time ago, I 
put together my own little decision-making grid and thought, okay, how do we generally make decisions and how does God want us to make decisions? And I want you to start down here at the bottom where you can see it up there on the screen. But down here on the bottom, a lot of times our decision uh, process begins down here, but it's because our goal is personal happiness. If you have a goal of personal happiness, what will happen is, is that every decision you make will lead you closer to that goal of of personal happiness based upon self-centered ideas about what you think life should look like. So when you get bored or when you're tempted or when you're in a place of self-absorption or where you get tempted by greener pastures, what happens is, is that you go, you know what? My personal happiness is all that really matters. So we get tempted and then we look for other people's approval. And then once we get their approval, we want to have their prestige. And once we have their prestige, well, then we want to celebrate with a lot of money because money buys a lot of personal happiness. The problem with that is that it's a gerbil wheel, okay? You're on and on and on and on because the moment you accumulate one thing is the moment you see something else, right? Do you guys know that when Amazon does the one-click thing, the reason why they went to one-click is because they realized that between 9 and 10% loss happens every click more you have to make. Why? Because you think about it, or you get distracted, or you walk away from it, or whatever like that. What they want is for you to have your personal happiness as fast as you absolutely can. Here's one click. Set it up now. That's our world. The opposite comes in, and Jesus has the audacity to say that God in the center of your life with the Holy Spirit coming from the waters of the baptistry, pouring into our lives and being led by the Word of God will actually build a grid that we make decisions that include our spiritual wiring, our our spiritual gut feeling, people who are in our lives that are closest to us, a spouse, extended family, our children, our small group, other Christians, Christian leaders, and we start to make decisions that way, which include a whole lot of happiness but, but, but more importantly, it's focused on holiness. If your life is focused on happiness, I'm just saying to you, you're, a, you're on a gerbil wheel. It'll never stop. You'll need one more thing. Part of what we're going to talk about today is how do we get to the place where we are at this place? You ready? Ready? I, I'm going to say something like a little salty. I know he dugs the salty past. Let me just say one little salty thing, okay? Because of the virtue of the fact that you drove into this parking lot, you live somewhere in a zip code that's 83714, 83616, 83713, 83 whatever, all the ones around here, okay? Okay, you have enough. Ready? We have enough. There's nothing wrong with buying a new shirt or anything like that or getting something new. But just hear me on this. Is that take the pressure off of that wheel. Let's move to a biblical wheel. Let's move to a proactive life that Jesus would have us to do because this is all about reacting. Jesus actually teaches us to proactive. Jesus invites us to live a life that is proactive, intentional, biblical, and godly. That's what his invitation to us is. The opposite is also out there and that generally speaking, the secular world teaches us to have an experience that is different. It's reactive, follow your heart, secular-minded, without values based on the word of God, and self-centered, which ends up being an existence. An existence. Hear me on this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Just to exist? I mean, just to take up a little bit of space? I mean, is that really why we're here? I'm going I'm to do the crazy thing here, and part of you know, what goes on at Foothills is this, is that we're not here to tell you what to think. We're here to get you to think. And then when you're thinking, let the Bible saturate your thinking. And then when the Bible's saturating your thinking, be able to make great, wise decisions. And will you make bad decisions along the way? Yes, of course, some. This is not heaven, okay? 
It's not heaven. I know. It's Idaho, and everybody thinks it's heaven, which is why they're all moving here, but this is not heaven. We just put up a sign out in the front that says, this is not heaven, but it's close. Is that fair? Right? Everybody wants to, we're not in heaven. And so what's happening is, is that people are settling for existence. Oh, hear me. Oh, hear me. There's so much more than existing. Jesus offers a life that changes lives and brings redemption. The world only offers this. This is the high bar of the world we're around. Hey, man, how are you coping? You doing all right? Everything good? Staying busy? There's a lot of life more than that. And I want to entice you that there is more than that, and God actually invites that. When Jesus met people, he did something amazing. This is why Jesus is a very controversial figure. And even to this day, when he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father, waiting to come back and to return and to bring us to glory and to be with him, Jesus did a lot of things with people because he forced them to choose. Think about it. The woman at the well. He meets the woman at the well. He shows up. He's in the afternoon. There should be no woman there. It's hot. It's in the middle of the afternoon. All the women have come in the early part of the day to collect the water, and they gathered it. They went in to, out from the city together. They went into the city together. Why? For safety, for security. Here's a woman at 3 o'clock in the afternoon standing out there drawing water because, number one, she's had five marriages, and she's living with a sixth guy. She just said, enough. Now, God, you, you got to understand something. This village would have had... I don't know, a few hundred people, a few thousand people, tops, okay? Her reputation flowed around her life, and she was living in shame. Jesus sits down with her, talks with her, encourages her, and he shares with her the love and heart of God so much so that she runs to that city and says, you've got to hear this guy. Jesus has a way of changing lives, but he also forces questions. The, when the centurion wanted his child to be healed, Jesus asked him about his faith. He forced a decision. The disciples who followed him, he said, come follow me. And they had a decision holding nets. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll go. We're on our way. Jesus forces decisions. It's kind of like one of the reasons we want Jesus to just be tame. It's one of the reasons we want Jesus to just stay on Sunday, okay? It's Tuesday, Jesus. Don't show up, right? We didn't pay for a, tease, a, Jews, a, a, a Jesus Tuesdays. We just we prayed for Jesus Sunday. You know, did we buy the bonus package, honey? Did we subscribe to something I don't know about? I mean, honestly, we don't want Jesus on those other days unless we want him to guide our lives. And guiding our lives is a place that you'll have an amazing time. The rich young ruler was also a guy that came to Jesus. And when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, think this out. He had been observing all the religious duties. He said, I stand up, sit down, turn around. I make sure I wear the things on my wrists, on my forehead, and all those kinds of things. But I'm still missing something because he thought that religion was the choice. It wasn't. Jesus was the choice to know him and to make him known. So the rich young ruler, Jesus looked at him. And, and by the way, we kind of get all worried about this topic too because the rich young ruler, Jesus says to him what? Go sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. And we all get excited because what we do is that we see at the first level, but the first level is really not the level. That's the illustration. He's not saying sell everything you have and just give it all away and all like that. What he was saying was this, your priority is this stuff and it owns you, you don't own it. And if it owns you, man, you're, you're, you're a slave to fashion. You're a slave to trends. You're a slave to all this stuff. And on top of that, here's one of the hardest parts, especially if you have some, you know, a few bucks in your pocket. Who's your real friends? Who are your real friends? Jesus looked at him and said, let all that stuff go away. You'll find out who your friends are. You'll find out what matters. And then you can move forward in your life. 
That's a decision point. We're kind of at that place here today. So we're going to talk about some decisions that invite us to this proactive, intentional, biblical life. Uh, and receiving Jesus means that we need to look at what the Bible says about decision making. So I'm going to, and I'm going to do, there's three sermons inside of one, and I promise they're not 90 minutes, okay? But there's three sermons inside of one today. And the first one that I want to do is how do we make good decisions? But before we get there, we need to recognize this, is I'm going to ask you to lay down three things today, okay? One of the These three things kill decision-making. The fear of failure, the fear of not getting other people's approval, the fear of missing out. These three fears actually drive most decisions. And I don't blame our millennial culture. I don't have one up here, but those little devices are actually building all of that because we're seeing everybody else's successes, not their failures, right? We're seeing everyone else's successes. We're fear of not getting a like, or a dislike. We'd even probably want an up or a down, but you know that nebulous land of, man, it's been 14 seconds and my friend hasn't liked it yet, right? And then there's the fear of missing out. Gosh, what are they doing? I don't know. I'm going to wait. Should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know. There's so many options. Which one do I pick? I mean, it's like showing up to get a salad and you got 14 questions you got to go through just to finally get there. And then you go, hey, by the way, could you bring a fork? Was I not going to eat like a Viking today, right? All those things do that. Could for a few minutes, can you, can you set those down? You set those down. And then let's examine what it means to have some decision-making uh, to go do that. Uh, on getting past those fears, what, what we'd like to do is, is actually help you make decisions in real time, in real ways, with your faith as a center of those decisions that you're looking to make. So I want you to see Joshua chapter 3, verse 4, this last little thing. The people of Israel have been wandering for 40 years. They were 40 years in the desert. It was a two-week walk, okay? They, stopped, they didn't stop for directions, okay? They didn't want to ask anyone else, right? So here they are wandering for 40 years uh, going into it. And Joshua says this to them at the beginning of when they're going to go into to, to the promised land to make a good life and a good decision. He says, stay nearby because you have not passed this way before. One of the greatest fears we have is, is that we've not done something yet before, and therefore we're going to have the fear of failure and fear of all that. And you know what he told them to stay nearby? The Ark of the Covenant. And you know what the Ark of the Covenant represented? The spirit of the living God in their lives. There are a bunch of places in this sermon where I'm going to say to you, if all you pick up today is this, pick this up. When you're going somewhere you've never gone before, You'll do well and better if you take Jesus with him, with you, and you follow him, okay? That's what he was saying to the people when they were entering into the land. So let's move forward and look at these first few things that include making good decisions about how we're going to do it. Number one is that you got to deal with your priorities. Know your priorities in life. Jesus said this, do not worry then saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear for clothing? Verse 32, uh, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Everybody needs all of that, food, clothing, and shelter, right? I mean, we know that those are our needs of our lives, okay? For your heavenly father knows those things that you need, okay? But seek first the kingdom of God, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God's got a trust factor he's asking you into, and that is this. If you will seek me first, I will take care of you second. I will. I will be your provider. The world's got plenty of resources, right? Hear me on this. There's enough food today to feed everybody, but still 20-some thousand children die of starvation a day around the world. It's not a provision problem. It's a priority problem. In your life, in my life, when we're making decisions, one of the most important things to do is 
figure out what our priorities are, and then align them with them. Now, some of you are tempted to say, well, wait a minute, are you just saying that all I do is focus on Jesus, and I just look to Jesus all day long, and he's going to tell me what to do? No, what you're going to do is, is first this, start with your priorities. Does the life of God, does his teaching and direction in your life have a seat at the table of your decision-making? When you're sitting there on the counter and you're at your kitchen table and you're making all those big decisions, does, here's, a, here's the first question. Does Jesus get a seat? I'm just asking, just give him a seat. That's the first part, okay? If you don't know what your priorities are, it's very simple. My phone does it for me. Is that There's a little spot where it talks about my screen time and it walks it through and it's amazing. It ranks in order everything I spend my time on. You could, I know this is risky stuff. Some of you have got like tape on that part of your phone that you don't ever want to go into and you don't want anybody else to see. Is it where you spend your time? But where you spend your time, you'll find your priorities, okay? Second thing is this. Jesus taught us and the Bible teaches us, keep good company. Keep good company. First, get your priorities right. Second one is keep good company, Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I can talk myself into the stupidest things. Oh, yeah, you know, that sounds really great, and that's really wonderful. I don't like that. And, and Shelly doesn't do this, but you can just imagine me coming home and Shelly going, okay, could, I, I, I know you want a psychedelic-colored VW bus. Okay, I got, I got that, got that. Could you just walk me through the, th- the thought process you had to get to that? You know, now she's going to sit down and have a coffee and something to eat and just listen to me demonstrate and prove how stupid I am, right? Because a fool is right in his own eyes. You can talk yourself into anything, but a wise man, wise woman, wise person is the person who listens to counsel. Do you have godly counsel in your life? Why do we push and encourage and, and bless you and do everything we can to have you in a small group interacting with other people? First off, it's a great place because usually, not usually, but this thing's open and we're open. Jesus got a table at the seat at that table. And importantly, we're hoping that other people will give us some godly counsel. Now, godly counsel, hear me on this too, is that godly counsel, we'll talk about this later, should never violate scripture. Okay. If someone says, go do this, you have the right as a biblical person to say, Hey, where's that in the word? Could you show me that in the word? Who do you have in your life? Who do you hang around with? Because I tell you this is that people will affirm my worst decisions. I can get anyone to say yes for something, right? I can get anyone to say, oh, yeah, Harvey, that 89-foot boat with all those kinds of things and everything like that, and, man, you would look great in that, right? And then you got the guy going, what would it take to get you in this today, right? I mean, I can walk my way. We can walk our way into that. Have good people who challenge who you think. Have good people who challenge what you think. Here's how you know you're living a healthy life. You have someone in your life or someone's in your life who don't tell you what you want to hear all the time. Okay? Healthy indicator. Really, really great healthy indicator. Okay, let's move forward to number three here. The third one is is passions. Don't let lust drive your life. James chapter 1. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. Temptation comes when we're carried from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away and drag us away. Shadley and I did this principle a long time ago, about 25 years ago. We come home and, you know, we, she's working in downtown Denver. I'm working. We're doing all these things. We come home, we'd have dinner and we'd sit there and we both kind of tired a little bit. And, and you pick up a catalog and you look at it and you look at another one. And you go, oh, man, look at this. Look at this. 25 years ago, we said we don't, we don't keep catalogs in our house. Because all they do is tell me what I don't have. 
All they do is say, yeah, wow, sure, let's. The Bible says, whatever is lovely, pure, honorable, and true, let your mind dwell on those things. Honestly, you all, we have enough, right? We have enough. I, I know this is going to really offend some people, but I, it's funny, and I want to say it, okay? So <laughs> I know some, of, some people love doing garage sales. It is the most organized mass redistribution of junk that nobody wants in the world. I don't want it. You take it. Sure, a nickel. Come on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you have change for a nickel? Yeah, I've got some pennies over here. I mean, it is a mess. Now, look, are there treasures out there? I know some of you are hunters, and you go out there, and you pull your bow, and you go, I got to have that, and I'm cool with that. I, I, but I'm just saying, we have so much. Think this out. We have so much. We buy all those things from Stuff Mart, and then what we do is we stuff them in a storage unit owned by the executives of Stuff Mart, who they bought that with their money. So now we're paying them to store stuff we bought from them. Our passions get us in trouble. Here's a little line. Keep it if you want it, okay? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Weird, isn't it? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Don't let your passion drive you in making bad decisions around all that. So those three things, let them guide you, okay? Is that you want to have the right people in your life, you want, to have, you're not, you want to have the priorities in your life, and you want to make sure you're not driven by your passions in your life. Now, let's go to the practical things that now help us make a decision. Okay, those are big pieces. Let's go to some very practical ones. So biblical guidelines for making decisions. Number one, needs and wants. Know the difference. Know the difference. Here's why so many people get disillusioned with Christianity after they get in for a little bit. They think that the Bible says God will give you everything you want. God says I'll supply all your needs. Very big difference. Philippians 4. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God says, I will meet your needs. And it is a point of growing and maturity where we have to go from being that mine, 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 want, 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 take, 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 acquire, 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 to where we go, you know, I got, I, I'm good, I've got enough. I've got enough because I have what I need. You know what's weird is, is that the amount of angst and consternation that happens in businesses, in families, uh, in organizations, in all kinds of places, and uh, that comes out of the struggle between needs and wants. I'm going to invite you here in just a moment to step back and say, you know what, one of the next things you need to do is once we get needs and wants down, then there's another thing that we want to do, and, and that is, is that we want to be able to have wisdom to make good decisions, Look at what James chapter 1, verse 5 says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Ask for wisdom. See, the way you discern between needs and wants is wisdom. Let me share it with you. Just right off, here's what it is. Okay, so knowledge is information. Okay? First line. Knowledge is information. A second line is this, is that information, when coupled with wisdom, leads us to understanding. Okay? Now, let's say we aren't at wisdom yet. How about this? Information coupled with thinking about it leads us to understanding. Okay? So knowledge is information. Information coupled with thinking leads us to understanding. Wisdom is the ability to take information and understanding and apply it when you should or should not. 
That's what wisdom is. And God says, I'm in the wisdom business. I've got all you, I got all you could want. And he says, ask of you, any of you, and I will give you from our, not our stingy God, but our generous God. And he goes, I will give you wisdom, wisdom. Oh, pray for it, seek it. If you're a parent with kids, here's a prayer that we have prayed for years in our family. Lord God, at night, it's, it's Luke 2.52, real easy to remember. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with people. We pray that our children would grow in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with people because we want them to be able to have wisdom in their lives because that helps them in making their decisions. So the first one here is needs and wants. The second one is you gotta ask God for wisdom because you really want more wisdom than anything else. Think about it. Amazon will give you all the information you want, Wisdom is saying yes and no, okay? All right, so the third one, stop long enough to think. It's a great verse. If you're in, if you're in uh, you own your own company, you are in management or in leadership and all those kinds of things, it's what you do every day, but it's actually a biblical principle taken straight from the truth of God. But don't begin until you count the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Verse 29 says, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you. And then finally, verse 30, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. One of the reasons why we're so attached to other people's approval is because we make decisions, a lot of times even bad decisions, and we want them to say we did a good job even though we completely blew it. We didn't blow it because we made a bad decision. We blew it because we didn't stop long enough to think. When Chadley and I have bought cars, anytime we've ever done it, we'll go together. And then when we go together, what we do is we hear everything about it and all those. And I know online changes a little bit of that dynamic now. But we, when we get together and then we sit down and we go, okay, hey, you know what? We're going to talk about it for a minute. And in every scenario, the salesperson has said, well, wait, uh, is, do you have a question? Is there any wondering about it? Okay. No, no. I said, it's, it's a great opportunity. And I'm not trying to be, you know, that guy, right? I mean, I don't pull my Bible out and go, well, I got to look this over and then and, and do that. Or but I just say, hey, you know what? My wife and I, we're Christians. And what we do is we pray about big decisions like this. We just want to pray and talk for a minute. You've done a great job. Give us a minute to think. And then when we're done, uh, I'll make sure and come back out and get you, right? Always build in thinking. Think about this for a second. Why is it shameful to think about decisions? That's how we'd be made to feel, right? Friends, take a moment and think. I've had so many once-in-a-lifetime opportunities come around from buying businesses or cars or doing this or doing that or whatever. They come around again, okay? Ford F-150 is hard to get right now, but they'll come around again, okay? Be patient. All right, there, there are uh, three things to remember here. Do you have your resources? What, so you need to think about what resources do I have? What abilities do I have? And what is my commitment to not start? Everybody's got a commitment to start. What is my commitment to finish? To finish. Think about if we did these things, how much consternation it would solve. So stop and think long enough. We read that from Jesus. Okay, so we move forward again here uh, just a little bit. And then the fourth one is this. Learn the power of being content. Content. Learn the power of being content. Back in the day when they could call you at your home, right, and you get that call at 6.15 at night and you're just sitting down, you know, you got one fork into the food and you got, you know, a bunch in your mouth, the phone rings. 
I'm like, oh, man, we better take it, right? So we pick up the phone and you go, hey, Mr. Friesen, how are you doing tonight? I'm having dinner. Why are you calling me? But if you ever get on those calls, you're ever on those calls, right? And it's a sales call and they're trying to sell you on something or even if it's in person or whatever like that, here's a line that will get you out of any deal. Ready? If you need a, like, I need out, like you need a red button, the floor to open and you're on your way, say this. You know, we've been thinking about it and we're just content with what we have. They're like flipping through the manual going, content, content, I don't know, call that guy. He's a crazy Christian over there and, you know, uh, works aisle four or whatever. Ask him, what does contentment mean? Contentment is this. I have enough. It's not a pressing need. My God is my supplier. I can wait. I can wait. Man, I'll tell you what, that saves us decision-making gets a bad rap because so much of our bad, so many of our bad decisions force us into multitudinal, more full-on bad decisions again, right? It's amazing how one bad decision can be pregnant with 50 bad other decisions that you got to make now, right? Some of the best decisions you make are ones that say, I'm not going to make a bad decision. I'm content. We're just going to hold off and we're going to wait, okay? I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. You know, the old deal is don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Well, here's the deal. Don't go looking for stuff when you are unsettled or impatient or just want something to make you feel better, okay? Catch me on this. Here, you know when you're most vulnerable? Right here, halt, okay? Just remember this, H-A-L-T, halt. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stop, don't make decisions now, okay? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And if you are hungry, go, okay, it's all right. I mean, I kept a little for tomorrow, right? I bring my own little snack, right? We're okay. So the third one is, or the fourth one is, learn the power of being content. The fifth one is this, understand the difference between style and substance. Style and substance. I'm going to give you this little illustration about it, okay? Substance uh, is found here in this, in this topic, is, is found out of the Old Testament with Samuel. But Jesus does something important, and we'll get to the Samuel verse here in a second. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, build your life on the rock, which is a foundational place, not on the sand, Okay, build your life on the rock. And that is build your life on something that is a firm foundation. Hold on to the foundation. Don't do sand stuff. Okay, and the illustration of that, of style versus substance, is when one of the prophets, and I got to tell you, as a pastor, I take great comfort in watching the failures of the prophets because I know that I'm like, you know, 48 lowers below, layers below them. Here's a prophet making a big mistake, but let's learn from his mistake. When they entered, now set up what's going on. God's looking for the next king of Israel. He sends him to Jesse's house because Jesse has all these sons. And Samuel, the prophet, went to God and God said, I'll show you the son when you get there. And so he goes there and he gets there. And the littlest one and the one that's overlooked, who's out there just sort of taking care of the sheep, he was so overlooked, no one picked him to even come to the lineup. He's out there doing his thing. So he got all the tall, dark, and handsomes and the rock jaws and the square shoulders and all out there. And Samuel's looking at all of them and it says this, when they, all the good-looking guys, entered, he looked at Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. He looked at this guy, and he went, now that's the next king of Israel right there, right? 
He got enamored with style. If the prophet can get enamored with style, you and I can get enamored with style as well. Look further. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. Catch this phrase, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Style versus substance. Style versus substance. In business world, there's a lot of style and a lot of flash. I've set up plenty of tables with $700 bottles of wine and flash and go and do all those kinds of things. The question is, is there any substance to this deal? Right? In relationships, there's a lot of people that make their whole world based on style. Nothing wrong with great looking style. Nothing wrong with doing like that. But the question is, is there any substance behind it? Okay, is there a foundation underneath it? So you want to look at style versus substance. So I've given you five practical things about when we make decisions. Now I want to give you, I want to move to that third and last part. And that is I want to talk a little bit about how we are to make day-to-day decisions. One of the biggest things that we did right early on was because we were in premarital prep and the premarital prep was led by Dr. Oris Doty. And Dr. Oris Doty said, okay, how, when you guys, after you're past all the, hey, we got married and the honeymoon and life and all like that, who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to do the dishes? I'm like, you know, hey, you know, we'll figure it out. I don't know. She will. <laughs> right? No, uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> right? Okay. You know what we did? He gave us a list of 78 chores around a normal everyday house. Who negotiates uh, the rent? Who negotiates the car insurance? Who negotiates the life insurance? Who's the person that's going to do the taxes? Who's going to collect all the data for the taxes? Who's going to be the person that takes care of the outside of the house? Who's going to be the person that takes care of the inside of the house? Went through all those things, and I'm like, man, this is what a downer. I just want her to say yes. And you're telling me I have to say yes to all these things before she gets up on the stage and says yes? Like, whose idea was this, right? You know what he was saying? Very wise man. Dr. Doty was saying this. You got to take care of the little things or you'll never get to the big things. Our lives often are unable to make decisions because our lives are so cluttered with all those things. And you know where most of the marital relational strife happens? on that page of 78 things, right? Shadley and I went through it all, wrote our names by it. We've revisited it three or four times in our lives. Not because we're some weird people. It's because, you know what? You clear that all off the deck. Now we get to go to the pool. You clear that all off the deck. Now we've got time to go do something. We clear all those other small decisions out of the way. Now we have the ability to go do our big decisions. Do that by doing day-to-day house responsibilities and decisions. What about just the administration of your life? Get those things cleaned up so you can go out and live it up. Got it? Simple, practical thing, you guys. Simple, practical thing. Uh, A second thing is this, is that decisions and your Christian life This should be a grid that you use when you're in a moral dilemma. And parents, hear me, the hardest ones for those of us, parents with teenagers, here's the problem, okay? What looks like a moral issue to them often is a style issue that doesn't matter. If they want to wear their hair down a little bit longer, we want to make that a moral decision. It might just be they want to wear their hair a little longer. It's okay, 
We get wrapped up in the outside stuff, and we forget to put the good things on the inside at times. I'm not saying we just forget about the outside. but I'm saying we need, we need to get to those. But when we get to the moral things, here are things that we should, as believers, guide us about how we make decisions. Ask this question. Does doing this, buying this, changing this, or, and I would even add, getting into this relationship violate Scripture? Does the Bible say anything about this? Should I look into this? Should I not look into this? Should I dig deeper and find out what this deal is all about? Does it violate the truth of God is the first question. The second one is, does it violate your conscience? The conscience you have comes from the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. He gave you a conscience. If it's violating your conscience, God's saying, don't. And we yell back, but I want it. Don't. Don't violate your conscience. The second thing that happens is this, is that your witness to believers and non-believers, does doing this violate that? Does getting in on this deal violate the relationship you have with people that are looking at your life? If it does, you might want to take a pass on this one. The fourth one is, is does it build up the body of Christ? Hear me on this. Hear me. We generally always look at next jobs that make us more money. In my life, I've made three big job decision moves. Every one of them, I made less money than what I did before. Every one of them. And that's why people around me at times who just looked at the superficial went, oh, he's not going to do that, he's not going to do that, he's not going to do that. It's because we made them on value decisions. Hear me on this. When we, before we even came up here, we made a decision about our daughter not moving her out of high school because those were so meaningful years. My growing up, I was in seven different schools the first eight years of my life. I was like, please, let's just let her have some stability. We're going to hang on until it's the right time and then we'll go. That's how that becomes a part of that. Does it build up the body of Christ? And then if you don't want to do all that, just Google it. And I'm sure there's some guy out there that'll tell you, do whatever you want to do. And yeah, just go do it. So I'm kidding. Let this be a little bit of a grid. Okay. It's all on those notes. It's in the FH app. If you want to take it home, maybe put it up somewhere. Think about it a little bit. Hopefully encourage you. Now I want to go this last little bit. And that is, is that here's a little decision-making grid on a practical level about what I've used and whether or not to get into a business or to not get into a business. But it really applies to anything that you will do that is a decision that will have one, two, three, four, five, 50-year impacts in your life, okay? And, it's, and it usually always involves someone else, okay? And I just want to just give these out to you here. They're not going to be on the board here in front of you. I'm just going to read them off of my little cheat sheet up here. But I've got a few of them that I've used, and maybe you can relate to them and think about them a little bit. Number one, Whenever someone wants me to be invited in to invest in something or to be in a relationship with them or whatever, the question I look at is this, how are they interacting with the people that are closest to them? Because how they interact with them and they're inviting me into that is how they're going to interact with me when I get into that decision-making and I say yes, okay? So how do they interact with the people that are closest to them? How do they interact with their mom and their dad? How do they interact with their siblings? How do they interact with their business partners? How do they interact with the neighbors that are around them? How do they interact with other investors who are in the deal? And what does that look like? Does it look like health or does it, uh, I don't know. And don't be afraid to ask a couple good decision questions there. Number two, are they deliberate about their business and decision-making or are they constantly second-guessing everything that everyone else does? Right? It's just a little tip. It's a little hint that it's something you ought to look for. Are they constantly second-guessing the work of other people? Because if they are, they're going to do that with you, okay? And like that. 
And are they also, in that second guessing, honest enough to second guess themselves, not just others? Okay? That's a decent one that I found along the way. Number, number three, what have been the outcomes of the decisions they've made to date that are important to them? What have been the outcomes? And I'm not so much worried about success as it relates to the world or whatever, but did those decisions that they made actually accomplish the outcome they said they were after? Okay, it's just a decent question to ask. A uh, third one, are they deliberate about keep, a fourth one, are they deliberate about keeping commitments to others or do they have a trail of broken relationships filled with lots of excuses? I mean, we live in a world that tosses away relationships, right? Uh, one of the best things that we ever did, I praise Pastor Doug and, and Miss Kim for it, is pastors can sometimes just go from one church to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. We stayed in one church for 30 years, on my staff, we had people that we worked together for that period of time. When I was on staff for 17, we had several that we just all worked together for that whole period of time. Long-term relationships speak to the ability to have healthful environments. Look for those. Um, are they constantly using legal language when they're talking about anything in particular, nothing in particular? Is everything a legal thing to them? If it is, then it's like, man, are we going to you know, is sue them and I'm going to do this and whatever like that. I'm like, who? People that are constantly doing that are telling me this. They don't know how to resolve conflicts and they don't know how to have clear expectations when they start out. Here's another line for you. Unspoken, unclear, or unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations, which result in broken relationships. Unclear, unspoken, unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations which result in broken relationships. Is there clarity in how they speak? Or is it all just about litigious, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this? Last one I'll give you. When they're talking with other people and they're talking with you about joining you in something and they talk about the great goal and they talk about all the benefits and now, oh, man, we're just going to do this and it's going to be great and we're going to capture the market and all this is going to happen and all they can do is talk about how great it's going to be when we do it to the exclusion of the granularity about how we're going to get there. See, everybody wants to be an all-conference football player. There's a select group of them that are at the gym this morning at 6.15, Right? So if you're in a relationship and all the person or wants to be and all like that, is that if all they can talk about is the outcome but don't know the process, you need to ask a few more questions, okay? I said to you early in a minute at the beginning, and that is this, is that if the person answers yes to all that and they get through all that, then you are either standing in front of the best liar in the world or you're about to have Jesus ask you to marry him <laughs> or you're about to have Jesus to ask you to go into a business environment. There are no perfect people. You're not one either. I'm surely not one either. But what we do is we look for characteristics because those actually guide us in the decisions that, catch me, shape your life. Let's hear what the video has to say. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.